Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Today, today is going to be simply special. I really, I really believe that. I really hope that you catch that our team's actually really excited about this. And, and we don't take this lightly. We, we believe that um, God speaks to people. We believe that God sets you up for an amazing life. And, and everything that we've been doing over the last month has been gearing up towards this. And so this morning, I wanted to take the opportunity um, to, to set things up for our anointing service tonight. I wanted to lay the foundation uh, for tonight so that when we encounter God, when we hear from God, it actually leads us to make changes, maybe, uh, but to really live out what God has placed in our lives. And over the course of this month, we've been going through this series called Gifted, and we've been talking about how the gifting and the calling of God is irrevocable, about how God has placed it in you and designed you with this specific purpose in mind that, that you can understand, that you can know, and you can live out. And in and, and week one, we spoke about how uh, God came and He spoke to Gideon, even though Gideon didn't have anything special about him, uh, God still chose him and spoke to him about what he was going to do. We too, we spoke about Gideon making space for God in his life. And then last week we spoke about, I always forget this one. What did we talk about last week? I've completely forgotten. Oh yeah, last week we, we spoke about how God confirmed that he was going to be with Gideon no matter what. And we spoke about how tongues is the confirmation that the Holy Spirit lives in us no matter what the circumstances is, no matter what's going on, is the affirmation of God, the confirmation of God in your life that you can know. And so today we finish it off and, and we've gotten to the point in Gideon's story where he is about to take the fight to the Midianites. As you watch the video, they were about to take on an army of 135,000 people. And Gideon had issued a call out to uh, the nation of Israel. And uh, even though no one had been leading them for a number of years now, when Gideon issued the call, he managed to rustle up an army of 32,000. In the circumstances, it wasn't too bad. Now, in the face of an army of 135,000, you have 32. If you can do some simple math, that's, a, that's about a quarter. Am I right? Yes, about a quarter, just under a quarter. So you have a one to four ratio between the Israelite army and the Midianite army. And I'm imagining what's going through Gideon's mind. Is that God's called me. I have made room for him. He has affirmed that he's going to do this thing through me, and I managed to get an army of 32,000. Sure, naturally the odds are not great. It is one is to four. But because God has affirmed His call on my life, I can do this, and we can do this. 32,000, one is to four. Each one of us just has to kill four people, and we've got the victory. That's okay. We can do it. God's grace is upon us. And I'm imagining that he's gathered the, his troops, and he started to, you know, give a bit of a William Wallace talk. And I, you, you, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it. Don't encourage me. I want, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> No, let's not do that. That would be the worst. When I try to do Irish, Scottish accent, accents, it turns out Indian. So it's just like terrible. That's not it's like freedom. Um, 
But, you know, I'm seeing him getting the troops together. He is excited about it. And then God talks to Gideon. And God says to Gideon, you have got too many men to do this miracle. And so what I would like you to do is talk to the guys and tell them, if any one of you are scared, go home. And I'm imagining what could have gone through Gideon's mind. The Bible doesn't record it. I'm thinking, you know, God's with me. I've done this, like, William Wallace freedom speech. Maybe 500 will go. Maybe a little bit. That's okay. I can, I can do. Maybe, maybe God wants 30,000, not 32,000. But it's, it's okay. I can still deal with that. That's, that's still decent odds when God's on our side. So Gideon goes to the men. He's like, remember everything that I said. Victory is ours. God's on our side. Now, if any one of you are scared, you can go home. 22,000 out of 32,000, two-thirds plus extras leave immediately to go home. And I'm imagining the 10,000 that are left are probably lying about their fear in this moment. Because when you think about this, if two-thirds, every two out of three people in this room leaves right now, and I say, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe what we're doing here, just go. If two out of three leave, the other third is going to be like, oh, maybe, maybe this is not it. Maybe I've committed to the wrong thing. Gideon was left with 10,000 men, and supposedly these are the braves, these are the, um, the, the ones without fear, and I guess maybe he could irrationalize it as like, okay, 10,000 against 135,000, not great, but at least these guys are fearless. Maybe each one of them can kill like 15 and, and we, can still, we, can still, we can still make this. We can still make this. And then God speaks to him again. By this time, I think Gideon's got this love-hate relationship with God, as many of us do. And, and God goes, you know what? I don't, think, I don't think that's the right number. I think we need to go through a second sifting process. You can read all about this in Judges chapter 7. I'm giving you my commentary on what Gideon could be thinking, but these are the facts of what happened. His army went from 32,000 to 10,000, and as if that wasn't enough, they went through a second sifting process that left Gideon with 300 men. Have you ever been in a situation where God's called you, but then he seems to take away everything that you need in order to achieve that goal? Gideon was left with 1% of what he started off with. God had dismissed 99%. And in that moment, I'm thinking Gideon could have been like completely freaking out. Maybe Gideon was thinking, what in the world is going on? Maybe I heard from God wrong. Maybe that second time that God came, it was the devil trying to steal away from the call of God on my life. Hey, hey, Ovi, come back, come back. I got it wrong. It was the other way around. You know, what is God? And the more I look at this, I think we can still laugh at this because we have the beauty of hindsight. 
We had the beauty of knowing that God definitely came through. This was Gideon's highlight moment of his life. The 300 men thrash an army of 135,000, bringing about deliverance for the nation of Israel, bringing about a, a time of peace and prosperity that God had promised through Gideon. But in that moment, when God had taken away the 99%, when he was faced looking at this 300, this hole is a 300-seater hole, by the way. So imagine this hole filled from front to back, and that's your army. And you say, guys, we've got, we got, we got, we got God on our side. We're about to take on an army that is uncountable compared to us. You kind of realize that this wasn't going according to plan. This wasn't going according to how Gideon's wildest imagination would have gone by. And this began to speak to me about a real problem that we have in our lives. Because I believe that God has got a calling on your life. And I believe 100% that He's gifted you for this call. I, don't, I feel like the Bible's so clear about this. But then I've also seen that when the heat's on, after receiving the call of God on your life, and then there is this gap between the call and the highlight point, the climax, the, the victory, the deliverance, the breakthrough, the promise that when the struggle hits, people don't stick around as much as they should. Because people don't have hindsight. I can imagine most of us being a little bit like Gideon and you're looking at what is left and you're going, I'm out of here. It's, it's as if because the struggle is real, the grace isn't. Because the struggle is real, the calling has been removed because the struggle is real. God's presence has been removed. And we operate that way in our lives. I, I've seen countless people. I've seen countless, countless people that have given up on what God has placed in their life because the way that things have worked out hasn't been according to plan, hasn't been according to their fantasy of what they think God is supposed to do. See, when God called Beck and I, and I talked about this story last week, he was saying, you plant this church and you will be leading networks of people and, and, and churches. The only networks we've got is our internet. That's pretty crap. <laughs> Cuts in and out. I was like, there's no network here. We've been doing this for two years and it's hard work. In the midst of the two years doing the hard work, people leave. Not the 99%, thank you, God, but there are people that still leave. And there are people that go, I'm going to Brisbane. It's like, why would you go to Brisbane? What is in Brisbane? I'm going to Adelaide. Adelaide? What's Adelaide got to do with anything? And we are looking at these people. Man, God, you told us that that person could be someone of significance to sow into their lives, to begin to speak destiny and to disciple them. And then they go, what is this all about? You know, if I'm not careful... And there have been moments that I haven't been careful. Those leavings could speak of my worth as a leader. 
and could speak to me about how maybe you heard from God wrong. And not just you heard from God wrong, maybe those people that spoke into your life, maybe they got it a bit wrong. Maybe it's for the person sitting next to you. And we, we allow these thoughts to enter into our mind and, and we allow these things to dictate how we live. If God truly called me to do that, that door should be open now. If God called me to do that, then why am I going through this struggle? If God called me to do that, why doesn't anyone recognize that I've got that call on my life? We kind of walk through life thinking that because God's already gifted and called me to do this, people will all recognize how great I am. And I realize that that's something that I've had to deal with in my life. I've realized that the gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable, but the plan is still God's. And the pathway is still God's. And the process is still God's. And I don't know why. In fact, no, I think I know why. I know that He's still trying to shape me and mold me. And so the process often requires that there's a little bit of a shaving of my confidence in myself. And a, an understanding of how God actually works. And, and a, getting me to a point that I realized that the victory wasn't actually me. Or the victory was God's all along. And... I started to realize that perhaps as a pastor and as a person who, who's been involved in churches for a while, I, I've seen a bit of a shift. Let me explain the shift. I grew up in a, a, a more, uh, I guess, traditional church, and the gifts and calling of God wasn't really spoken too much about. If it was spoken about is you serve the church, if not, you're not doing anything. And by serving the church, it means putting out chairs, lifting heavy stuff. It's only when you get to about 89, maybe, when you're old enough to finally carry the, the unction and the, and the presence of God, then you're allowed to, to be a leader. I, I was in a youth group where the average age of the youth leaders was 35 and single. That's the kind of youth group I was a part of, you know? And it's like, thank God, thank God I'm not in that church anymore. And... Um, and I realized that that was a passionless faith. No one actually was, no one enjoyed God. The only thing we enjoyed was, I don't know, telling people that they weren't good enough. That's my recollection. It's completely, I'm making a little bit of a joke about it, but that's the kind of background that I, I feel like I grew up in where passion wasn't allowed to be spoken about in church. If that was too much clapping or, or laughter, you're, you're not doing your faith right. And, and I, I think our church went through a, a revolution and the church across the world went through a revolution where they're like, if God's created you for it, you enjoy it. And I believe it. That passion is a big part of our lives. But I think the problem is that we have started to place our passion in the wrong things. And, and we've started to talk about to people like, what's God call you in? I, I don't know. What are you passionate about? That's normally the second question we get to pretty quickly. It's like, what are you passionate about? And, I, you know, I, I've, I've spoken to people and their passions are, I don't know, going on vacation. And I, my passion is making lots of friends. And so I won't be at church because I'm going camping again. And, and. My, my passion is to make lots of money so that I can buy nice houses. 
I can provide for my family. And, and you get people who has this idea of passion attached to this sense of feeling like you're living. And I think that we have done passion a disservice because I don't think that that's what passion is meant to be like or that's the right passion to attach ourselves to. In fact, as I was uh, planning for this message and, I, and I, I did a little bit of research and work into it, uh, I came across this, uh, a few websites um, like you know, Forbes and Harvard Business Review. This was written by business people and this is what someone wrote about passion. This is probably a non-Christian or not writing for a Christian audience, but this person wrote this. Passion makes people delusional. Because passion is ego and selfishness. It is narrative. It's saying with a straight face, I'm going to do, insert preposterous thing that never happens. I want you to get me in publication that makes zero sense. I have to respond to, insert ridiculously petty insult. I'm going to be as big as someone whose career took decades to develop. How can they say these things and believe them? Because passion blinds us. It mutes our empathy, and tells us what we want to hear about ourselves. I didn't write that. I don't know. I don't think a Christian wrote that. But this person is writing about what is going on in the business world. People are not succeeding in their pursuits, in their business pursuits, because they are guided by passion and a selfish, self-serving passion. When we ask you, what are you passionate about? And if you answer that your passion is about something that is self-serving, you're delusional. And unfortunately, I believe that for myself, I've had conversations with people where I haven't attached passion to the right thing. You see, I believe that passion is all right when it's attached to something beyond ourselves. When it's attached to some issue or problem that God has created us to solve. You see, in, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared good works. And when God says good works, I checked out the meaning of the word works. And works means labor. It means effort. It means actually doing something. It doesn't mean feeling good about yourself. And the word good doesn't mean feeling happy. It doesn't mean that you, that you are so joyful that you get to do these labors. The word good means wholesome. It means just in and of itself, noble and pure. And as I continue to think about this, I realize that what we need to see is that God's prepared for us to do a work, a wholesome work, a work that brings wholeness. And that means that we are living in the world that is broken, that needs healing, and that needs wholeness. It means that God has prepared us to be a solution to a problem that is in the world. 
And my life is not based on how I feel and my worth and what things make me feel. It's based on how God has wired me to see a problem and to make a difference in that problem. So if I ask you, what are you passionate about? And you say that you are passionate about, the, about good clothes. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about good clothes. But unless you attach the passion for good clothes to solving a problem that is in the world, you have got a passion that is delusional. But if you attach the, your, your passion for good clothes to, to sourcing it out from, uh, from places that are ethical, then maybe uh, you, you, you employ people that need to uh, find employment, that the proceeds goes to solving certain issues. Then you're attaching your passion to a purpose. You're attaching your passion to the fact that you can make a difference and be a solution to the problem in this world. And when you realize that people are doing it tough out there, that people are dying and people are needing help and that God has created you with an ability to make a change in their lives, then maybe you're not going to give up when you wake up the next morning and your boss is still not nice to you. No, it's not the devil trying to steal your joy. It's the fact that you don't have a nice boss. But maybe you can grow in it. Maybe you can learn how to be a better boss through this experience. Maybe you can be a better parent, be a better teacher, be a better, I don't know, friend, be a better leader, be a better student in this season because God is calling you to be a solution to someone else's problem. God's not trying to steal your joy. And when the struggle comes, if you attach your meaning and purpose to a passion that is linked to how you feel, you are going to give up. I guarantee it. Because I believe that my passion is attached to making a difference in the world through building a healthy church and ultimately building healthy churches. That's my dream and my goal. But man, there are times where I'm, I don't know. Adelaide person is like, you stuffed my life. The devil has stolen from me. The devil isn't stealing anything. I'm stealing from myself because I've taken my gaze off the author and finisher of my faith. About the, I've taken my eyes away from the fact that God's called me to do things that it doesn't matter what other people are doing around me. It matters whether I'm staying the course or not. Imagine if Gideon gave up. Imagine if Gideon saw 99% leave and just goes, well, that's it. I don't know why I've called you 300 people because ain't nothing going to come out of this. Why don't you guys go home as well? I'm going back to my wine press. I'm going to start saving up for the next winter because I don't know about you, but I don't think anything's going to happen about this. People are giving up. People are giving up because their circumstance doesn't match up with the plan that they've made. But I believe that God's calling us to something higher, to something more significant, to something more dependable. And that often means that you've got to look beyond yourself. You're not going to find that inside of yourself. In fact, one of the verses that I hold on to, 
goes like this, but his grace is sufficient for me. I love that. Don't like the second part of it because it says then his power is made perfect in my weakness. His grace is sufficient and I'll only really know it when I allow myself to be weak. So I'll, I want to become a bit more like Gideon that when I'm faced with incredible odds, when things have been removed from my life, when resources seem to be stopping in my life, I continue to look up to God and say, God, if you call me to do this, our 300 will take the 135,000. I'm weak right now. I've got no military training. I've been threshing wheat in a wine press. And now my responsibility is to kill at least 20 men. 20 men who have been doing this all of their lives. I'm not feeling very confident about this. And I've got no confidence in myself. And I've got no training and no equipping to bring me to this point. But God, if you have called me, this tough situation is in your hands. You know, tonight's anointing service isn't about giving you a rah-rah pep talk. Yes, you are significant and special and, and you go on and, and you go change the world, girl. And guy. It's not one of those moments because if that's all you get out of it, you're going to fail tomorrow. Or maybe the day after. Or maybe the day after that. Because the struggle will hit. And the struggle is real. But your God is real. And the purpose on your life has already been established. It doesn't change because of your situation. It changes only because of your obedience. It changes because of your perseverance. It changes only because you're not willing to tough things out and to get through to the other side to see it fully uh, into completion. The Bible keeps telling us if anyone, uh, if anyone has put his shoulder to the plow and turns around, that person is not worthy of the call. The call's still there, but the call requires you to say, come on, I've got this. It's tough. It hurts sometimes. You know, I don't feel great about myself. I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to be doing here, but if this is my plow, I'm going to keep plowing because God's going to come through like never before, and it doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on my confidence and my ability. It doesn't depend on my training or my circumstance. It depends on my faith. It depends on my perseverance to the call of God that is on my life. Come on, church. We need to have Christians that are not swayed by circumstance, not swayed by new thinking and, and by how they feel, but are pushing on with a passion that is attached to their purpose and they see the victory come through. Can we get the band up this morning? In terms of pep talks, this is probably one of the worst pep talks you're ever going to hear. Yeah, go with God, you're going to suffer. <laughs> but I love what Paul says because he says that I count all of this as nothing. The sufferings, even the victories, compared to the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you are living for self-fulfillment, you're going to find very little. 
if you're, what, is you, what, what drives your sense of achievement? That you get lots of money? That you make it on the high achievement list, Forbes 100, top 100 rich, rich list? That, that, that people like you? That people compliment you? That they praise you because you're doing something significant? What, is, what gives you that sense of achievement? If I'm completely honest, I get this wrong all the time. And every time I go to the wrong place to find that sense of meaning and purpose, I come away angry, bitter, and disappointed. And quite often, I just need a bit of space with God. God, why is this happening? And he's like, quite often in this season anyway, he's like, is it your church or is it my church? Did I ask you to build a big church and to attract people? Or did I just simply ask you to be obedient and to, to keep showing up? To keep showing up, to keep, to keep trying, to keep pushing I don't know about you, but when I've allowed God to be God, when I've allowed Him to be in control of my life, when I've allowed Him to take all the glory, and, and at the same time, if I fail, it's on you, God, because you asked me to do this. And the moment I've done that, I've felt this pressure just lift. I don't have to perform for you. I can be crazy up here because I don't care what you think about me. And I'll, I'll act stupid. I'll, I'll say stuff that offends people. If I, as long as I feel like God's calling me to say something. But I don't have to worry about what any of you think or how any of you value me. Because my value is found in God. But if my value is found in God, then I need to understand that the way that He's created me is more important than anything else. And so discovering your purpose is such an important thing. Because your purpose will help you to live life deliberately. You are gifted people. You are amazing people. I love that God's drawn you guys to be part of Live Church. And Beck and I can't believe the caliber the potential, the amazing things that we together are going to see in our town. But we require some people to really stop worrying about their passion and to worry about their purpose. So this morning, like I said, this is just a setting up for what we're doing tonight. And this morning, right now, I'd just like to invite anyone here. If you don't know Jesus, I'll be straight up and say, I don't think then you would understand how amazing your life is meant to look like. You don't understand that God has got a life that is far more glorious than anything this world could offer to you. 
And so I would love to invite you to meet this Jesus and to meet with this God who loved you, who created you, and who sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins so that you would be able to access all of what He has got for you. And so right now, if I can ask all of you just to close your eyes and to bow your heads. If you want to receive this Jesus, if you want to receive the author of your life, if you want to receive this Jesus who is able to show you so much more than anything this world is ever able to, I would like you to raise your hand. I'd like you to raise your hand right now so that we can pray for you so that we can uh, introduce you to this Jesus. And this will be the best decision that you've ever made in your life. So why don't you do that right now? No one else is looking around. This is a private moment between you and God. Fantastic. Let's say this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I want to live for you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.